Section 2 of By Ox Team to California, A Narrative of Crossing the Plains in 1860. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. By Ox Team to California, A Narrative of Crossing the Plains in 1860, by Lavinia Honeyman Porter. Chapter 3. Fire and Fuel, Stormbound, Fellow Emigrants, Settlers in Nebraska. To the inexperienced traveler, the approach of nightfall is hailed with joy, for the campfire is among the chief pleasures of outdoor life. We vied with each other in replenishing its cheerful blaze. There was always a fascination in watching it kindle from its little glimmering light into the roaring flame the flicker and glow illuminating the countenance of those nearest the fire for a brief moment bringing out every feature with a peculiar distinctness and just as suddenly obliterating them with an intense shadow then too if the night was bleak and the wind blew its frosty breath you were reminded by your freezing back that picturesqueness and comfort did not always go together the brilliant tongues of flame and the innumerable sparks floating off into the air had no charms for those who were roasted on one side and frozen on the other. The flying sparks on windy nights would blister any exposed surface of the skin, while the smoke with every change of the breeze was whirled into your eyes. For all of that, in many of our lonely halting places, the bright and cheerful glow of the campfire served to drive away the gloom that surrounded us and keep the wolf and howling coyote at a respectful distance when we were far out on the great plains with no wood or tree in sight our main dependence for any sort of fire was on the despised buffalo chips these emitted scarcely any flame and we hurriedly cooked our evening meal before its unsatisfactory glow dissolved into a few light ashes. Then we appreciated fully, in spite of its minor drawbacks, our bright wood campfire. In the early stages of our journey, before we had grown wise by experience, it had been our custom, when we came to a stream at evening, to camp before crossing it, Storms that occurred so frequently at night caused these streams to rise suddenly and overflow their banks. These shallow brooklets, which we could wade easily at night, would become angry, rushing torrents before morning, filled with driftwood and debris. While these floods were raging, we had no alternative but to swim our cattle across or wait for the stream to subside. We had made this mistake once too often and at last found ourselves, as the rain continued, waiting in camp for several days for the waters to fall. But we were not alone. Each day brought us more company, and before the water had subsided, there were fifty or sixty other emigrant wagons in view, their tents dotting the landscape on all sides, while their stock was grazing on the rolling prairie around us. The emigrants worked about their camps, the women busily employed in cooking or in trying to dry their clothing that had been drenched by the continual rain. Sitting around their wagons were other unkept, soiled, and bedraggled women, most of them lean, angular, and homely, nearly every one of them chewing on a short stick 
which they occasionally withdrew and swabbed around in a box containing some black powder while a muddy stream oozed from the corners of their polluted mouths it was evident to the most casual observer that they were snuff dippers from arkansas or tennessee a number of ragged and half-clothed children of both sexes swarmed around their camp barefooted and bare-legged one of the women to whom my attention was particularly called sat disconsolately apart from all the others who were pottering around their camp work or gossiping in little groups her thin knees were clasped by her bonier hands and her tousled head drooped forward there was a most tragic expression on her careworn countenance and she looked as if she cared for nothing on earth a strong measure of human suffering was depicted on her hopeless face and it seemed as if nothing would rouse her but in this i was much mistaken two of her barefooted boys had committed some childish prank which roused the fierce anger of one of the men who stood idly by smoking his short pipe in a voice thick with sudden rage he called the boys to him the terror and panic depicted on their faces plainly showed their great fear and instead of obeying the surly call they started to run the man seizing an ox goad soon overtook them and quickly applying it to their naked legs caused them to emit screams of anguish with the severity of the blows then in another instant i saw that mother aroused from her seeming apathy with one bound like an enraged tigress she cleared the wagon catching up a horsewhip as she ran and soon reached the man who was so unmercifully beating her children her attack was so sudden that he was unprepared for the onslaught she rained quick and sturdy blows on his head face arms anywhere in her blind fury it required the combined efforts of two men of the company to make her desist the man whom she had beaten was wild to chastise her in return but those who had separated the angry couple protected the woman the boys in the meantime had scampered out of sight after many hot words a truce was declared and the commotion soon died down i comforted myself with the thought that we were not obliged to travel with such an inharmonious company we were now being continually overtaken by numerous trains of the faster horse and mule teams many of them bearing on their painted wagon covers such fanciful legends as pike's peak or bust root hog or die long before our slow-moving oxen reached denver we met those same teams coming back and underneath their legends was the brief word busted or the hogs dead the wild rush was not confined to wagons alone hundreds of men had pack animals which were loaded with blankets provisions coffee pots and frying pans a few even had hand carts which they pushed with their light outfit before them traveling alone with our one wagon independent of the numerous caravans that overtook us we were passed by most of them for our oxen were much slower than the horse and mule teams which seemed to predominate yet the days were full of excitement as we came into contact with such a diversified lot of human nature nearly every state in the union was represented all looking forward with eager eyes toward the rich mines of the rocky mountains
these vast prairies of kansas and nebraska were sadly deficient in bridges while at low water many of the streams were not difficult to cross yet often we found ourselves on the brink of others whose steep and slippery banks looked very formidable down the precipitous incline the wagon would seem almost to topple over on the oxen then into the deep stream and up the difficult pull on the opposite side we had been on the road nearly a month owing to the delays of wet weather and the high water we encountered when we came to a large stream too deep and treacherous to ford called the republican river where arrangement was provided to cross by a rope ferry at this place we found a large number of families with an immense herd of horses and cattle migrating from illinois and missouri to california by the way of fort kearney where they would strike the old military road they had been trying to swim their stock over this stream this was slow and difficult and their patience was well-nigh exhausted it was impossible to get such a large number of animals ferried over in a hurry consequently we had to wait our turn and nearly two days went by before we could take this primitive ferry across the deep stream one often hears the plains of the west spoken of as monotonous levels but here and there they rise and fall in gentle undulations sometimes crossed by narrow streams fringed by the homely and ragged cottonwood one morning while climbing a rather high divide we caught sight of our first antelope and my impulsive brother wanted to give them a chase at once but they soon showed us by their swift flight that they had no desire for a closer acquaintance with us we were sadly disappointed for by this time we were beginning to grow tired of bacon and salt pork and longed for a taste of fresh meat in a day or two they became more frequent and less wary and one afternoon we sighted several in a group so intently feeding that my brother laid one of the beautiful creatures low with his rifle the others soon sped out of range they were beautiful graceful creatures in color a yellowish brown on the upper portions of the body and almost white on the under parts the nose horns and hoofs were black with eyes bright and most beautifully expressive we afterwards saw numbers of them in the distance but this was the only one we ever came near enough to shoot i could not forget the startled look in the beautiful eyes of the timid creature as it fell to the ground wounded and dying and i did not relish the meat prepared from it as i had anticipated one sunday while resting in camp my husband accompanied me and our son to a small stream some distance from our wagon where we could take a refreshing dip in the clear water we had enjoyed our bath greatly leaving the middle of the stream i seated myself on its banks and as i was drawing forth my foot from its depths a huge snake came gliding out of the water close by my side with true feminine instinct i uttered a shrill scream and started on a swift run toward camp in my scanty bathing attire before my husband could overtake me however i had recovered from my fright and went back for the remainder of my clothing frequently when walking the sight of a huge rattler would cause me to make a sudden jump into the air to avoid coming in contact with the repulsive creature james who ever kept a watchful eye on me as i walked ahead of the team would jokingly ask 
why did you jump so high and run so swiftly at intervals these reptiles were quite numerous on our route rattlesnakes predominating with many others not so venomous but just as repulsive chapter four buffalo country returning gold seekers our whiskey barrel by the frequency of the trails that continually crossed our road we found we were nearing the land of the buffalo now and then the heads and skeletons of buffaloes dotted the plains and in certain localities the ground was fairly white with the bleached bones we never imagined that any use could be made of them but many years after that time i was informed that a regular trade had sprung up for these bones and that a number of eastern firms did a large business in shipping them to their markets where they were used in manufacturing buttons or ground into a fertilizer as yet we had not seen a herd of buffaloes we had listened to many tales of how they loped over the plains coming swiftly with bended heads tearing the turf in their mad rush which no obstacle could oppose they had been known to run directly through and over trains of emigrant wagons leaving scarcely a vestige and while we were now constantly on the lookout for a sight of these animals it was with fear and trembling one morning we had just finished our breakfast of salt pork fried mush and coffee of which i had partaken with little relish my hitherto pampered appetite had begun to rebel at the coarse and homely fare i was hungry for some fresh meat nearly a quarter of a mile beyond us was another camp of emigrants men women and children with their full complement of tents and wagons suddenly from this camp i saw a man come running toward us and as he came nearer pointing and gesticulating madly i heard him shouting buffaloes looking quickly in the direction he was pointing i saw a large herd of a hundred or more they seemed to be making a wild dash for our camp bellowing as they ran with lowered heads in a long awkward gallop several of the men were running on foot to get a shot at them my brother leveled his sharps rifle and fired but it seemed rather to hasten than arrest their flight on they came with rapid strides and crossed the stream almost beside our camp one shaggy-headed old fellow shambling up the bank was fired at several times by a number of the men just as he entered the water falling to the ground as he emerged on the bank near our side he caused the rest of the shaggy herd to veer suddenly in their course taking their way between the two camps and quickly disappeared around a group of low rolling mounds just beyond us my little boy and myself had taken refuge in the wagon expecting every moment to feel the trampling of their hoofs for we had heard much of their rushing through and over trains in their mad flight leaving them wrecked and their occupants mangled beyond recognition the buffalo the marksman had wounded so that he could no longer follow the herd was quickly dispatched the men dressed the carcass and each one of the campers took a portion of the animal when we received our share i immediately raked together the coals and embers of my breakfast fire and broiled thereon a piece of the fresh meat to satisfy my craving appetite it proved a great disappointment for it was tough strong and dry i had heard that no meat could equal or excel that of the buffalo 
but the piece I had cooked was not relished. I also learned that this was the meat of an old bull, and we had not even taken the best part of the animal, which was the hump on the shoulders, and was considered a very choice morsel. After this we saw many large droves of buffaloes in the distance. There must have been thousands, but they had grown wary. The overland traffic in 1860 was so enormous that the buffaloes kept too far from the main traveled road to give much sport to the skillful hunters. We never again fired a shot at one. Occasionally we were able to buy from the Indians a few pounds of what was then termed jerked buffalo. This was strips of the wild meat dried in the sun and wind without salt. The tongues of the animals dried in this manner were fairly palatable, but one could chew for hours on a small piece of the dried meat, and the longer you chewed, the bigger it grew. However, it was a change from salt pork and bacon. We passed hundreds of new-made graves on this part of our route. One would imagine that an epidemic had broken out among those preceding us, so frequent were these tell-tale mounds of earth. One day we overtook a belated team on its way to one of the distant forts with only a man and his wife. The wife was quite ill in the little tent, having given birth to a child a day or two before, which lived only a day. The father had put it in a rude box and laid it away in its tiny grave by the wayside. The poor mother was grieving her heart out at leaving it behind on the lonely plain with only a rude stone to mark its resting place. I think it must have been near the middle or last of May when we met our first Indians, a band of thirty or forty Cheyenne. They did not trouble us to any great extent, although we felt rather annoyed at their proximity. The first Saturday after we came into the neighborhood of this tribe, we called an early halt in the afternoon. For several days the grazing for our stock had been very poor, but in this Indian country the buffalo grass was more plentiful, and while it was short, yet it stood very thickly over the ground. The roots of this buffalo grass were long and sweet, and the cattle devoured them with as much relish as the tops of the grass. In all stages of ripeness it was very nutritious, and the stock throve upon it. Taking advantage of this good pasture, we concluded to wait over a day or two and let our cattle recruit, while James made some needed repairs to the wagon. It gave me a convenient time to do my necessary washing and baking. Continual moving on did not give much extra time for cooking, and bacon, beans, and bread, day after day, became monotonous. So I gladly embraced this opportunity to have a change of diet. I made dried apple pies with bacon drippings for shortening, and some ginger cookies with the same ingredient entered largely into their composition in place of butter. The latter was a scarce commodity, as all that we had was from the milk of our one little cow. We had soon discovered that by pouring our morning's milk into a covered can in the wagon, the continual jolting would churn it as we moved along, and at night we would have butter enough for our evening meal if we used it very sparingly. For breakfast our bread was dipped in gravy, as usual. These two days in camp near a stream gave us an opportunity for a bath, and me a chance to wash the alkali dust from my hair, 
and to do the necessary mending of our clothing. We were now in the midst of numerous bands of roving Indians, not hostile to us, but intent on begging or stealing. Whenever or wherever we made our camp, they soon found us, and never left us throughout the day. This Sunday I had discarded an old, worn-out hoop-skirt that I had worn thus far on my journey, and, much to my amusement and amazement as well, it was immediately donned by a huge Indian brave, who strutted proudly among the group of Indians who were squatting around our camp. As the skeleton hoop composed the larger part of his attire, he was a sight to behold. Even the stolid squaws were provoked to mirth at the ludicrous spectacle. The following Monday found us ready to move on, and we began very soon to meet team after team of disappointed Pike's Peakers returning east. We talked with a number of them who had not even gone so far, but had been assured by many returning that the whole country was a vast humbug. They too had lost courage and faith and were going back to their homes. They told us of hundreds in Denver who would gladly work for their board, that men who were in the mines could not average a dollar a day, and all who could get away were leaving, urging us to go no further. But we were not to be intimidated by their doleful tales. We would see for ourselves, and continued on our way. On the level lands and river bottoms of Kansas and Colorado were countless numbers of prairie dogs. These harmless little animals lived in villages, which we traveled through for weeks. These marmots made the air lively with their chattering, a peculiar short shrill squeak rather than a bark, and the honeycombed soil was in motion with their antics. Sitting on their haunches on top of their pinnacled earth burrows, they would peer curiously at us with their shiny, beady eyes until our approach jarred on their nerves, when they would suddenly disappear into the depths of their burrows. In many places there would be hundreds of them on an acre of ground. Beside the prairie dogs, the coyote became familiar with us, never by day at close range, however, but at nightfall he could be heard prowling about our pans and kettles. Occasionally we passed a small settlement where a hardy pioneer had built for himself a rude home, partly and sometimes wholly of sod, with a rude forge and a primitive blacksmith shop and the inevitable whiskey mill. As we went further west, these little settlements were called cities, although consisting only of wretched little mud cabins, a few acres of land plowed but unfenced, and sometimes besides these cabins a wayside house from whose portals swung a wooden sign bearing the name Tavern. They were queer structures, partly tent and partly cabin. A few rough posts would be driven into the ground. These supported a ridge pole across which some old pieces of canvas and ragged sailcloth formed a rude and primitive shelter, large enough, however, to hold several barrels of whiskey. On a dusty shelf above a counter made of boards resting on two empty barrels were a number of broken and cracked glasses, some half-emptied bottles, a few cans of oysters and sardines, and this constituted the entire outfit of the so-called tavern. 
probably the boniface of this crude establishment knew his business better than we did and had decided not to squander his capital in articles that were not considered a prime necessity and here i found as well as at other places on the road that whiskey was considered a prime necessity of every outfit on the plains this had been the subject of many spirited discussions between my husband brother and myself before and after starting on our trip while laying in the supplies for our journey everyone said we must take a barrel of that article with us in spite of strenuous objections on my part which were overruled the whiskey was bought and duly stored with the rest of our provisions at different points on our journey i began to notice when we camped at night and also at our noon halt that our wagon had a drawing attraction for many of the other emigrants whose camps were in the vicinity and it finally dawned on me that the barrel of whiskey was the alluring charm while my husband was a temperate man yet he was socially and hospitably inclined and many of the emigrants taking undue advantage of these qualities would too frequently for their own good and my peace of mind visit our camp i knew it was useless to complain or interfere but i patiently bided my time and one day when no one was around i quietly loosened the bung of the barrel of whiskey and by nightfall there was nothing left of the precious stuff save the empty barrel and the aroma of its spilled contents not even a bottle was saved for emergencies and we never needed it the continual walking day after day over the hot dry roads the wading through heavy sand and dust for much of the distance caused extreme suffering to the feet of many emigrants my husband had not taken into consideration that he needed larger and roomier boots for this long tramp and continued to wear the same size he had been accustomed to wear at home after a few weeks he began to complain that his feet hurt him every morning it required greater effort to get on his boots at length finding his feet continued to enlarge he tried splitting his boots open to give his feet more room this of course let in sand and alkali dust which irritated them still more there was no store of any kind on the road where we could buy either boots or shoes or any other merchandise finally his feet became so painful that he discarded boots altogether and becoming too disabled to walk was compelled to ride in the wagon for several days to allow the painful swelling to subside my brother and i took turns in driving the oxen finally we met a band of indians from whom we were able to buy some moccasins made from deerskin which were large soft and comfortable and afforded great relief they proved to be strong and durable and lasted until we reached denver where he was able to replenish his footgear in larger proportions end of chapter four and end of section two